awesome passages in the Bible. How many of you love shouting verses? What I mean by shouting verses is when you hear a verse that you like, it's like, hallelujah, amen. For example, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Amen? Okay, maybe all of you guys don't like shouting verses. I got another one, Philippians 4.19, and my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. All right now, you guys are starting to wake up. But you know, when we read the word of God, the word of God is powerful. And there's passages we can get excited about and say, yes, they remind us of God's goodness. They remind us that God is with us. They remind us of his promises. Especially when we're discouraged, we need to be reminded of his promises. Amen? But I got another shouting verse. It says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials and temptations. Different translation, consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. Another translation, consider it wholly joyful, my brethren, whenever you are enveloped in or encounter trials of any sort or fall into various temptations. Come on, preach it. I mean, is anybody getting excited? And then the NIV, it says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind. It got quiet in here all of a sudden. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials. Thank you, Jesus. I feel the anointing. I remember I encountered this verse when I was in college. I was going through something. You know, it's funny because I was trying to think of what I was going through at the time, and I have no recollection whatsoever. But it was one of the hardest trials and challenges in my life at that time because I remember just the the agony, the frustration, the, the pressure on my soul. And I remember I was having a quiet time. I was reading the Word, and I decided to read James. Dangerous. Be careful if you're going to read the book of James. And I decided to read the book of James, and I started out reading it, and it starts in the first verse, and then the second verse. Consider it pure joy. And I think I was reading the NIV version at that time. Actually, I was, because then I came across where it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kind. And I said, What? And I read it again because I thought it was a misprint. Consider it pure joy, my brothers when you, and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And see, I happened to be going through a severe trial. And so this thing jumped off the pages, and it didn't bring warmth to my soul. It smacked me in the face. And it's like, are you kidding? I was a young Christian, but I had learned, fortunately, that I could be real with God because he knew it was in my heart anyway. And I really took issue with this to God. I said, God, this doesn't make sense. So are you kidding me? You know what I'm going through. And you expect me to be joyful. Matter of fact, what really made this so strong was at that time, I can't remember if it was Tropicana or some orange juice company. 
Remember the commercial where someone's pouring a glass of freshly squeezed, well, it was, they were, it was light freshly squeezed orange juice, and you know, it was, this beautiful glass of orange juice was being filled up, and, and if you happen to be thirsty, then of course it appealed to you. But their, their premise was it was fresh, pure, pure, no additives, nothing added to it, purely squeezed orange juice. And the Holy Spirit was saying, pure joy. No additives, nothing taken away, pure, 100% pure joy. When you go through various trials, how many of you experience pure joy when you go through various trials? <laughs> it's always like, okay, you're kidding, right, God? And then I thought, okay, he must not mean... Obviously, there's certain kinds of trials he's talking about. He can't mean serious trials. Like, he's not talking about financial challenges. I know he can't be talking about financial challenges. He can't be talking about yet-to-be-fulfilled or prolonged prophecies, words, or promises. You know, when you've had a promise that God has put in your heart, and it's been years and 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 years, and it hasn't happened yet? I know he's not talking about that either. He can't be. Or persecutions from friends and family. You ever been in a situation where your friends, your best friends, or even your family members begin to persecute you? How hard that is, how your soul knots up and you can't even sleep? He can't be talking about that, can he? He can't be talking about those kinds of trials. Being misunderstood. How many of you have been misunderstood? You've been totally innocent, totally right, but yet people misunderstand you? No matter how you try to explain it, they, matter of fact, the more you try to explain it, the more they misunderstand you and the more they persecute you and the more frustrating the situation becomes. What about being lied about by people? You ever been lied about? I worked a job but when I was in college, I worked at the youth shelter. And there was a lady that began, I worked there for three years, ended up working there for three and a half years, but I'd worked there for about three at that time, two, two and a half or three years. And it was a lady that was hired on, and it was a, la- a young lady that I knew. We went to college together. So we were an acquaintance slash friendship type relationship. So, hey, how's it going? And she started working. I thought it was cool, but we worked different shifts. I worked the graveyard shift, the 10 p.m. to 7 a.m., and she worked the day shift. And my supervisor adored me. I'm sure you guys aren't surprised, right? But my supervisor loved me. I mean, I worked hard. I did, did a good job. And um, I, I don't remember ever getting any complaints. But all of a sudden, I started getting these complaints. I started, because when I got to work, the supervisor was already asleep. So when she had instruction for me, she would write these notes. And then I'd come in, I'd pick up this clipboard, and it would say, make sure you do this, or we have a new, a new teenager in, and so make sure you do this. And she would just give me instructions. Well, then all of a sudden I started getting these little slips that would say something like, make sure you don't leave the freezer open at night when you go in it. Which means, according to her, that the light last night I left the freezer open. Now the freezer was a big freezer that was full, stock full. Uh, We're talking probably hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of meat to feed these children and everything. So leaving it open could be disastrous. Well, the night before... I didn't even go to the freezer. 
but yet I was being accused of leaving the freezer open. I'm like, I didn't even go to the freezer. So anyway, so then another night, now this didn't happen every night, but it just happened over time. I'd get another note from my supervisor saying uh, something got broke or whatever, and I was blamed for it. Uh, or I was, you know, accused of, bl- of breaking something. And this just kept going on and on, thinking, wait a minute, what's going on? Well, then I realized that this young lady who had started working there was the one telling my supervisor these stories. And I started getting angry because I was innocent. Now, there's been times when I've been guilty and I've been told on. That's different. You know, if you're guilty and you get ratted out or whatever, okay, you did it, so you got to face the music. But I was innocent, and yet I was getting... um, And it wasn't that I was on the verge of getting fired or anything like that. It wasn't that serious, but my reputation... Because see, remember, my supervisor adored me. And that was, that was at stake here. That was a serious situation. And so anyway, I was getting frustrated. I was getting angry. And I remember I was going to deal with the situation. I was going to write this long letter. I was going to chew this girl out through this letter. So I wrote this letter. And then the Lord began to deal with me. And the scripture came to mind. I don't know where it is, but it says the battle belongs to the Lord. And then he told me to do something, and I did it, and I'll tell you the rest of the story at a later, a later time. But I remember when I was going through that situation, I was misunderstood, or I was innocent, and I was being lied about. That was a frustrating situation. Or what about marital or relationship challenges? You're going through a situation where you and your spouse or you and a friend are, are really having a hard time, and you can't sleep. You can't, every time, every waking moment, your mind is playing that scenario over and over and over. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Thank you, Leah. By the way, I have a couple of announcements. I'll have you guys make the announcements afterwards, okay? Just change things up just a little bit. Or what about consequences from bad choices? You've done something. Some of you remember, or some of you may remember, that I did something, and um, I needed a car, found the perfect deal on the internet. Now, instead of laughing at me, you're supposed to be praying for me. It was a perfect deal on the internet, $3,700. Do not ever send $3,700 before you get the vehicle. Just a hint. I sent $3,700, never got a vehicle. I got ripped off. And I remember when I was talking to my brother, Han, and I was telling you, remember Han? I know you remember. Quit laughing. We were, we were, we had a meeting. We're just hanging out one morning and, and I was so excited about this deal. I'm like, oh, Han, I got this deal and I was sharing this deal. And, and it was one of those too good to be true. And, and I was trying to convince Han that this was an awesome deal. But he kept saying, oh, that's cool, brother. He said, but I don't know about this. I'm like, no, you don't understand. It's, you know, I was explaining to him. I was explaining something to him. Trying to help him understand. You don't understand this and this and this. And then Hans, I can't remember all he said, but then he said something that kind of clicked. My, something snapped in my head. And it wasn't a fun, cool kind of snap either. I'm like, oh, my goodness. 
And then I couldn't wait for him to leave. It's like, okay, you got to go. I didn't tell him that, but I was thinking because the reality of what he was saying finally hit me. You ever have one of those moments when reality hits you? When it's a good kind of reality, it's exciting. But when it's a bad reality, and I had that warm feeling come over me, and I was like, oh, no. And so as soon as Han left, I got on the Internet. And I began to look up uh, Internet fraud and, and like Craigslist and eBay and that kind of thing. And the very first thing that popped up, thou shall not do this. Guess what I did? I did that. Like, oh, my goodness. My heart started racing. It started beating. I mean, because I'm thinking, wait a minute, we got $3,700 on the line here. This cannot be happening to yours truly. And so I did some more research. I looked up. I looked up this. I looked up that. I looked up this. And all of a sudden, I realized, yep, I fell victim to this, to this, uh, this Internet scam. But consider it pure joy. Hallelujah, $3,700 down the tube. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, I have a confession to make. That was not my reaction. Now, I know that would have been your reaction, but that was quite not mine. But is God talking about that situation too when he says to consider it pure joy when you encounter various trials? Is that what he's talking about? I mean, serious stuff. See, if, if, you, if you have a bad hair day, or ladies, you break one of those nails, I know that can be a serious trial. Matter of fact, I remember one time, me and my brother, we were little. He was younger. He, I'm six years older than my brother. And we were running through the house, which you're not supposed to be doing, but it was my aunt's house, so it was okay. We were running through the house, and my mom was sitting. I remember she was sitting in the dining room, and she was watching something, I, maybe... Well, anyway, she's watching something, and I'm chasing my brother. I don't know if I'm either going to kill him or we're playing tag or something. It was always either I'm going to kill him or... But anyway, I was chasing him, and he ran right into my mom, and she had recently had her nails done. You know the $50 million nail job? Remember those ladies? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, beautiful. Well, he ran right into her, and guess what? Snap. Yeah. Sadness and sorrow just filled the room. He, he broke one of her nails. And my mom started saying stuff that I shall not repeat. <laughs> she was not happy. And see, it was his fault because he ran into her. So I backed out and I'm, I'm out of there. And she's blank. You know, she says a few. She doesn't say a lot of bad words, but she says a few. And we knew it was not a good situation. And see, that was frustrating to her. That was a trial, a challenging situation. And I can understand if the Bible's talking about that. You know, if you get a broken fingernail, consider it pure joy. But when we're talking about serious situations like you are going through right now, serious situations, life-altering situations, challenging situations, when you're going through those and you come across this verse, consider it pure joy. What in the world are we supposed to do with that? I just sent this dude $3,700 and he has no intentions of sending me a car. What am I supposed to do with that?
How can we ever get to the place where we can consider it pure joy when we go through various trials? Either this verse was a mistake, which many of us are hoping for that option, or God truly meant what he said. Now, what I've come to see is there's a lot of scriptures in the word that are challenging, that are hard. For example, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute and despitefully use you. Bless those. You know what I mean? It's like, wait a minute, what? And I'm sure right now, if you could think of an enemy, think of someone in the past who, who maybe betrayed you or who hurt you severely. And the word of God, Jesus himself, because it's in red in the Bible, it says to love. When it says if you get angry with a person, you know, we know that murder is, is wrong, but to get angry with a person deserves judgment. Or it's not just bad enough to, to actually commit adultery, but if you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery. And you look at those verses and it's like, this is impossible. What in the world? What did I sign up for? And what I've come to realize is that when God, God is not just some mean one who tells us something to do impossible, that's impossible, and because we can't do it, then he punishes us for not being able to do it. That's not how God is. What I believe he's saying is, my requirement of you is impossible. That's why I sent the Holy Spirit. To enable you to do the impossible. So when you come across a verse that seems impossible or that is impossible in your in yourself, first of all, recognize it is impossible. But then remember, we have the Holy Spirit, the same exact Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. The same one dwells within you and me. And he's there to quicken our flesh. He's there to enable us to do the will of God. So how can we ever get to the place where we can consider it pure joy when we go through various trials? First of all, our perspective has to change. This is not an option. Your perspective, my perspective has to change. If any of this is ever going to make sense, you and I must see things from an eternal or kingdom perspective. See, when we look at things from our perspective, from the natural mind, it doesn't make sense whatsoever. And if we look at things from our perspective, it can cause us to believe that God is unjust. I mean, think about it. For example, let's say a Christian, a person is born in an undeveloped or underdeveloped country. And you can imagine the trials and challenges they have just everyday life. But not only are they born there, but they suffer and deal with persecution every day. A person's in that situation versus a person who's in a very developed country and persecution is, is hardly heard of. So you got a person in that situation and you have a person in that situation. If we look at that from our perspective, from a natural perspective, that's not fair at all. I mean, you see what I'm getting at? That is not fair for a person 
Let me give, me ex- give you an example. I've heard these stories and they, they just meant something to my heart because of the, the person who had to go through this. But in a certain part of the world, there was severe and there still is. Actually, this is down by the Chiapas area. At one point, Chiapas, we know people that live in Chiapas, that was the, the worst persecuted place on the planet as far as Christians are concerned. And this story came out of there years ago. But the persecution was so great that I remember this one story of this, this pastor had a big family. He was married and had a large family. I don't remember how many, five, six, seven, eight kids, something like that. I mean, just a number of children. I don't remember how many. And these, these men would come. They came. And they were trying to get him to deny Jesus. He said, you need to deny Jesus. You need to quit preaching the gospel because what he was doing, he was effectively preaching the gospel. And it was ruining the kingdom of darkness. And it was populating the kingdom of heaven. And so they were not happy with this man. And they came to his home. And they said, you must stop preaching the gospel. You must deny this Jesus and everything's cool. And it means I cannot deny my Jesus. So then what did they do? They took the baby. And they killed the baby. Don't need to get into details how they killed the baby. Then they said, you must deny this Jesus. And he said, I cannot deny my Jesus. So then they took the second, the next older child, and they killed this child. They did this all the way through his family, even killing his wife. And then they left him there by himself. Is that fair? How is that just? When the worst kind of persecution that we may experience in comparison to that is being misunderstood or being called names because I go to a certain church. From our perspective, looking at this man who loses everything for the sake of the gospel and this person who hardly loses anything for the sake of the gospel, like who would feel cheated? If we look at things from our perspective and look at that situation from our, from our perspective, God is unjust. We're going to come to that conclusion that he's unjust. But if we look at things from a kingdom and an eternal perspective, it changes everything. It changes everything. Because see, eternity is a long time. Our life on this planet is a very short time in comparison As a matter of fact, can't find the scripture at this point, but the Bible talks about, excuse me, here it is, Psalms chapter 39, verse 4 and 5. It says, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is about a breath. That's not talking about our significance. That's talking about the time frame that we have on the, in this life. Let me give you a picture that the Lord gave me. If you look down at the carpet that's in front of you, and you see that the carpet is made up of a bunch of little naps, 
If you take one of those naps and unravel it, you might find, I don't know, maybe, let's say a hundred fibers. Okay, let's just say a hundred. Each one of those fibers represents, let's say, 90 years. Your lifespan is one of the fibers in the nap of that carpet. And that nap is 100 times 90. And you can imagine how many naps are here in this, in this uh, sanctuary. And how many naps are in the carpet all over the church. That represents eternity. It's a long time, isn't it? Especially compared to our lifespan. Our life is but a vapor. And see, we're going to live for eternity. What happens, what we do, the choices we make within our little bitty time frame of 90, 100 years determines how we live for the next billion years. The only reason why I say billion is because we can kind of sort of wrap our heads, our heads around that. I mean, I don't even know what the number is for eternity. So when you look at things from that perspective, if I'm suffering even all my life on this planet and I choose to follow him and honor him and Jesus is, is everything to me, he's my Lord and Savior, and I live this whole life in suffering and pain and agony, but then guess what's going to happen when I die? Is there going to be any more pain and agony? Mm-mm. Are there going to be great rewards? Oh, you better believe it. Can you imagine the rewards that this man who lost his whole family? Can you imagine the the rewards he's going to receive? So our perspective has to change. We have to begin to look at things from his perspective, from an eternal perspective perspective and see this is the perspective that the word of God is written from it's written from internal perspective so when the Lord's talking about for example consider a pure joy when you encounter various trials and even in 1st Peter I remember to write that one down. But in 1 Peter, it talks about the wonderfulness, I'm paraphrase, the wonderfulness of the salvation that we've inherited. And then he says, In this you should greatly rejoice, even though for a time, a short time, you have to endure various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith is more precious than gold or silver. So in other words, he gives them a picture of what of eternity, and he says, you can rejoice in this even though for a short time you have to encounter various trials. Now, the people he was talking to, you remember when uh, a while ago I shared about in 1 Peter, when Peter was talking to the church about... Um, They were going through tribulations and trials and everything. And he talks about continuing to practice hospitality and et cetera, et cetera. And they were going through some serious trials. Well, the time frame was when Nero 
Severe persecution broke out in the church, and Nero, King Nero, was taking Christians and torturing them. For example, he would cover them in tar alive and set them on fire and use them as light in his patio as he was having a party. That's how wicked that guy was. And that's what was happening to Christians. So imagine the turmoil. Imagine the pain. I mean, Christians being torn apart. Being tortured and all this because, simply because, they love this man named Jesus. And see, they're going through this hard, these kinds of hardships. And so Peter's saying, even if for a little while you have to suffer various trials. It's like, what? For, in other words, it seemed like it was insignificant. Well, from an eternal perspective, it is. If we can begin to wrap our minds around eternity, and that's a major shift that has happened in my life that changed everything. I begin to see things. In other words, how I invest my time. Because, For example, the most powerful investment on this planet is not Apple stock. It's not gold, but it's people. If you want to gain the most rewards in heaven, then invest in people. That's an iPhone, by the way. I recognize it. (laughs) So we invest in people. So there are times when I have to make a choice. There are things I'd rather do that are more temporal, fun, you know, more satisfying to the soul right now. I have to choose between doing that versus spending time with this person. Or if you spend time with a person that is like, man, I don't know if I want to because I just don't feel like it. And then what it's like what the Holy Spirit uses to encourage me is the eternal perspective. For the moment, I, this may not be fun. This may not be what I want to do. But eternal-wise, guess what? I'm about to rack up some points. Now, that may sound selfish, but that's the kind of selfishness that heaven encourages. Because he says, Jesus himself said, do not build, for you, build rewards and treasures on earth where people can, can steal it, it can be destroyed. But build treasure in heaven. Treasure in heaven. How do we do that? We engage in kingdom things. We consider it joy. We walk in joy. We do things that are impossible in a natural man. And so our Our mindset has to change. The Bible says to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So then you'll be able to prove and understand what God's will is. Our mind has to be transformed. It has to be changed. Our perspective has to be changed. See, when we go into a trial, we're in the midst of a trial, a huge trial. See, that thing's in our face, and all we can see is now and realize how important, how uncomfortable, how frustrated I am now, what this is doing to me now. And as long as you stay focused on that, you're going to be overwhelmed. And many Christians even turn and walk away from God. They say, this is not fair. I thought you loved me and you're allowing me to go through this. Are you kidding me? You know how obedient I was last month? You know how many people I witnessed to? You know how many treasure hunts I did? And we give God our credentials thinking that's going to move him. And then we get frustrated. 
and we get discouraged, we get angry, then we get bitter, and then we quit. All because our perspective is wrong. We're looking at this temporary situation, and we're ma- we're basing a huge decision based on this temporary situation. And that's that's what many people do too often. We make lifelong decisions or we quit doing what we should be doing or we we do things we shouldn't be doing because of how it makes me feel now. That has to change. If you want to be able to get to the place that where you can and I can truly consider it pure joy, pure, like orange juice, joy when I encounter various trials, first thing is my perspective has to change. I have to begin to see things from God's perspective. Amen? Does that make sense? <clears throat> the second thing is, I have to understand the purpose of trials. I have to come to understand the purpose of trials. You know, in a verse it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind. It doesn't stop there. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. In the Amplified it says, Consider it wholly joyful, my brethren, whenever you are enveloped in or encounter trials of any sort or fall into various temptations. Be assured and understand that the trial and proving of your faith bring out endurance and steadfastness and patience. But let endurance and steadfastness and patience have full play and do a thorough work so that you may be people perfectly and fully developed with no defects, lacking in nothing. There's a purpose. There's a purpose. There's a purpose. And if we can focus on that purpose and understand, okay, because see, a lot of times how I view temptation or trials I view them as an unnecessary inconvenience. You know, you're going, think about it. You're going along doing awesome things for the kingdom and all of a sudden, bam, you get hit with a trial. Some comes and knocks you on your, on your backside and you're like, and you're frustrated and you're thinking, this is, this is stopping me from moving forward with God. If I can just get this out of the way so I can move forward. Like, no, that's not the situation. And I know we all feel that way at times. Especially me, it's like, man, why does this have to be happening now? Why now? Okay, when? If not now, when should it happen? When I'm not busy. Lord, can you wait till Mondays? Mondays are my day off. I mean, come on. Trials on Mondays, that would be awesome. Okay, you talk to him about that, see what he says. But we see him as an inconvenience. Or it's like, why is this happening to me? Well, who else should it be happening to? <laughs> like, why is this happening to me? Who are you that it shouldn't be happening to? See, our perspective, it's all self-centered. It's all temporal. So if we can see that trials are not just an inconvenient thing that just get in our way. Now, there are different types of trials. <clears throat> There are trials that we bring upon ourselves because of bad choices or stupid choices. Buying cars on the internet. Never mind, we won't go there. But sometimes we get ourselves in situations because of our choices. But you know the cool thing about God? The Bible says that 
God can cause everything to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So even if you do something that is totally lame brain stupid, totally, and you say, God, I am so sorry. That was, oh, you even warned me not to do it and I did it anyway. And you repent. Then guess what? You enable God to do with that situation. When you repent and say, God, I'm so sorry for this mess. He says, you're forgiven. Now you're ready for me to have it? Yes, God, please take it. He will take that mess and he will turn it around in a way that he can be glorified and you will grow. Isn't that awesome? I remember I was talking to this one guy. I was witnessing to him when I lived in Bennett in college. I was talking to this guy and he says, I don't want to be a Christian. I said, why not? He says, because you Christians have trials. And I was thinking, you know what? You were right. Before I became a Christian, I had no trials whatsoever. Now I got all these trials. I think he must have realized the stupidity of his, of his statement. I asked him, I said, you have no trials? He says, yeah, but then everything is like, wait a minute. <laughs> First of all, everybody has trials and challenges, don't we? Don't they? But here's the cool thing. If you're not a Christian, if you're not following Jesus, there's no guarantee of how that thing's going to turn out. But my Bible says that God can cause all things to work together for good for me, even in my stupidity, because I love him and and I'm called according to his purposes. So even my messes, God can use to glorify himself and make me become more like Jesus. See, the purpose of trials is for our perfection. It's for our maturity. It's for us to grow. And those of you who, do, who want to be in ministry, effective ministry, which we're all called to, by the way, that's another topic, another sermon. Every single one of us, when we accept Jesus, you are inducted into the hall of ministry. But we say, you know, I want effective ministry. Well, guess what? If you want to be an effective minister, you cannot skip the training process. Guess what the training process is? T-R-A-I. Trials. That's what the training process is to become like Jesus. God's goal for you and me is to become more like his son, Jesus. To be conformed into the image of Jesus. Well, how does he do that? There are a number of ways, but one of the ways is trials. And you know, I've heard people say this, and I might have heard some of you guys say this. But people say, you know what? I'm not, pay- I'm not praying for patience. Or don't pray for patience, because every time you pray for patience, then you have trials. So I'm not praying for patience. Let me ask you a question. Is it working for you? It's like, wow, this dude, he doesn't pray for patience, so he has zero trials. You know what? I don't know when the last time I prayed for patience. But the trials, um, (laughs) they don't care. Oh, you're one of those guys that's praying, that's not praying for patience. Sorry, wrong house. I'm not coming here. You know, they don't do that. Whether you pray for patience or not, they're coming. They're coming. 
They're coming. So we have to understand that trials have a purpose. So when we begin to see things from a different perspective and begin to understand that there's a purpose behind these crazy inconveniences, it helps us to begin to move towards being able to consider it all joy when we encounter various trials. You know, when I went through that Craigslist thing and I lost that $3,700, that was pretty challenging. But the outcome of that situation, even though the circumstances didn't change, I still haven't gotten to $3,700 yet or a car. But to this point, the end result was incredible. Situation with that lady who was tattling on me. That was a frustrating situation I was going through, but the end result was pretty cool. And one of the most difficult trials that I went through, I've shared this before, was when I I used to work with a ministry down in Chandler. Tom Wright was the the head of that ministry. And he opened up a ministry for for prisoners, ex-prisoners. When they came out of prison, they'd have a place to come to his ministry, and they would be trained in a, in a, um, a trade. He was a carpenter, so he would teach these men how to build houses. So they can have zero understanding or, or carpentry experience, and if they hung out with him, he would teach them how to build houses. So it was pretty awesome. And then his ministry, be, it, you know, and, and nobody had a problem with that. Nobody had a problem with a ministry helping ex-prisoners. But then what happened was if you know someone who's a sex offender, a convicted sex offender, then you'll know that they have one of the biggest challenges on this planet. Because because the way the laws are set up, they hardly have a place to live. They can't live here because they're too close to a daycare. They can't live here because they're too close to this. They can't live here. So it's like, well, where can they live? And it's very challenging. And there are very few very few places where they can, when they get out of prison, they can live. And I'm talking about those who, who have a repentant heart and say, God, that was stupid. I messed up. I am sorry. Jesus, I confess you as my Lord and Savior. I want to begin to do it the right way. Then they step out of prison. They're in trouble. Unless there's a ministry that comes along and says, hey, we'll take you here. That's what Tom's ministry began to become. He took any prisoners. And then so when sex offenders came out and they found out about him, they said, hey, can I come to your place when I get out? He says, sure, come on. Well, Tom didn't realize what he was getting himself into. And over time, as, as prisoner turnout, as a turn, over, what do you call it? Um, turnaround or, you know, when, they, when prisoners come in, they cycle through. Turnaround. Turnover. Thank you. I knew turnaround didn't sound right. Turnover. So eventually his ministry became all sex offenders, all, which was cool. Tom loved these guys, and I, I, I appreciated this man for that. And those are the guys I worked with. I love these guys. They were my brothers. Well, then what happened later on, uh, persecution, you can imagine persecution coming, especially it's funny, not really funny, but kind of funny in an ironic kind of way. 
that this is out in the country, but there were neighbors across the street and down the street. And, for, and Tom didn't hide it. He didn't say, don't tell anybody. But it was open to the public. And for some reason, all these years, nobody knew. Nobody knew. Even a lady that came to Tom's house for, for his wife's Bible study. And I think Gene and Paula and those guys, some of those ladies didn't even know. And they'd been coming to the house weekly. Was it weekly or regularly? And, and some of them didn't even know the kind of men that were housed there. Well, anyway, as word began to get out, I don't know how many news channels came and how many TV channels they were on. I mean, it became a big, big deal. Persecution in his family. His kids didn't appreciate this ministry. They wanted it to go away because it was an embarrassment to them. Well, anyway, after time, you know, Tom began to get ill. I was the vice president. I somehow became, it's like, how did I end up in this situation? I became the vice president of this ministry. Tom became ill, and then eventually he passed away, and I became the president of this ministry. And before all that happened, it's like, I need to get out of here. And the Lord began to trim me back, but he wouldn't let me quit. And then all hell broke loose. And guess who, guess who was held holding that, <laughs> that bag? The president of the, of the ministry, which was me. And I remember before all that came down, um, we had a meeting. It was Tom, his wife, myself, and this other man, this man of God that I appreciate. And he challenged me because that night I was turning in, and actually I did turn in my resignation. I said, I'm done. And then this guy challenged me, one man to another. He challenged me. And I knew that it was the Lord speaking to me through him. hate that when that happens. <laughs> It's like, man, I couldn't get away from it. But I just felt the conviction. I knew, okay, he challenged me to, to stick this through, stick, this, stick with this until it was all the way done. Because people, were, people who were involved in that ministry, they were abandoning ship fast. They were getting out of Dodge. Like, whoa, um, I'm out of here. Because they saw the writing on the wall. And so I stayed. And then next thing you know, I ended up in a situation that I'd never been involved in before. Here I am trying to take care of this man when he was sick, take care of him. He and I became real good friends. Um, he considered me his best friend. He's the only one I, he, well, anyway. So I was trying to take care of him. I love this guy. And I appreciated his heart for this ministry. And then I wanted to see the ministry get transferred into good hands so it would continue because these men needed this place. Well, then when his family began to come in, his kids and everything, who wanted the ministry to go away, they began, their accusations began to come towards me and Rose, his wife. We got turned over to adult protective services. I was being investigated. And all I was doing was the right thing. That's all I was doing. It was the right thing. It's like, wait a minute. I'm innocent. I didn't do anything wrong. Matter of fact, I was walking with God and I said, God, can I get out of this? Can I leave? And he said, No. And actually, he asked me, because I had a choice. I could have gotten out of it. But he said, will you stay in this situation and allow me to work through you? I said, no. Okay, let me think about it. 
To this day, that was the hardest situation I walked through. And it was one of those kind of situations where you wake up, when you wake up in the morning or early in the morning, you have to use the restroom or whatever, and you can't go back to sleep because your brain clicks on, and all you can think of is that, that scenario playing over and over and over again. Well, that's what was going on with all that, the accusations, the lies, the challenges and everything. It was a trial. I mean, we're talking, since I'm the president and my name is on the, on the line, if there's, if there's lawsuits and everything, I personally can be held liable, even though it's not supposed to be that way, but things weren't set up right, so I could have been. And, you know, so fear is trying to grab a hold. And it's like, God, why me? All I've been doing is the right thing, and I'm having to go through this. And that situation turned out pretty awesomely, which I'll share more next week. I'll share what, what I did and how the Lord helped me and everything. And just like the other thing, with the $3,700, I'm not going to take up an offering. But it was incredible because that situation stung pretty bad. It doesn't sting anymore. And what I mean by that, I mean, you know how when you, you've gone through something and every time you think about it, you, the pain, it just grabs you. And it's like, ugh, it just kind of hits you every once in a while. I can think of that situation, I can talk about it, and there's no more pain. Now, there's still no $3,700, but there's no more pain. There's no more pain in my soul. And something happened that the Lord took me through that changed something. Even though circumstances don't change, we can walk through hard circumstances with pure joy. We really can. Either he's real or he isn't. And see, that's what this boils down to. Either eternity in heaven is real or it's not. And see, we make our decisions based on that reality. Am I really investing everything into this kingdom business that I read about in the Bible? Am I willing to put everything in it? Or am I kind of holding back just in case it's not all true? You hear about people being on the fence? You hear about people being lukewarm? See, that's what's happening. They're not, they're not selling, they're not 100% buy-in. They're not putting all their money towards this stock. All of it. I'm putting all 100%. See, in the natural world, that doesn't make sense. If you're going to buy stocks, you diversify. You buy some of this, you buy some of that. That way, if one of them crashes, you still have something else. With the kingdom of heaven, it's either all or nothing. And miserable people are those who are trying to put some of their stock in heaven and some not. Those are the most miserable people. Those are the ones that have a hard time being full of joy. They can't be full of joy. You can't have joy. You're going to be schizophrenic, double-minded, unstable in all your ways. As it talks about in James chapter 1. Double-minded. That is a miserable place to be in. We have to sell out. Time to sell out. It's time to sell out. Even when you're going through various trials that you don't understand. See, one thing we have to understand, God doesn't bring all these trials upon us. There are some that I believe God has his hand in. But there are some that we bring upon ourselves because of bad choices or, or ignorant or, or whatever. If I jump off this building and break my ankle, did God do that to me? 
No. Some people actually believe that. I was talking to a, a man in prison who contracted AIDS. He got AIDS because of using dirty needles. You know, shooting up heroin and everything. He contracted AIDS and he, he confessed that to me. But then his question was, why did God do this to me? Why did God do what? Why did God give me AIDS? What? Can you tell me that story again? I missed something. I must have dozed off or something. I miss. But people believe that. God, why are you doing this to me? And so God gets a bad rap a lot of times. But in your situation, whether you understand or not, and whether your circumstances have changed or not, or they've become more difficult, you can come to a place when you can go through that situation and have the fullness of joy in your soul. I'm not talking about being happy. That word there is not considered pure happiness. It says joy. Joy is a supernatural thing from the Holy Spirit that you can have in the midst of terrible circumstances. And see, if we get a hold of that as Christians, then regardless of what you're going through, you can be a powerful witness because people look at you and say, wait a minute, aren't you going through this? Yeah. Then why aren't you whining and crying and cussing and fussing and all that kind of stuff? Well, I've had my moments. <laughs> but right now, I just want you to know how awesome God is. And that is the one thing that I've come to experience going through these challenges, these hardships, is each time I realize how awesome and how real he is. You know, oops, that's mine. Someone just sent me a text. Yeah. Anyway, I realize how awesome God is, even if the circumstances don't change. Even if you don't get your $3,700 back, God can still be awesome. And you can celebrate and rejoice and worship, really not, not in faith. I'm worshiping in faith, hoping God hears me and changes things. I know sometimes we do that. God, look how high I'm raising my hands. Aren't you convinced yet? No, son, just a little bit higher. Next week, we're going to talk about what do you do in a trial? When you find yourself in a situation that you're in, what do you do? What should we do? That's a good thing to do, pray. But there are things that we can do. There really are. And there are things that the word the Lord gives us. He fully equips us and enables us and provides for us so that we can walk the way he wants us to walk. That we can truly walk in joy even when our circumstances are difficult. And I know I'm talking to people who are going through some difficult challenges. And I'm not trying to trivialize this by any means at all. And I hope you hear my heart that I'm not talking about trivial. See, $3,700 is nothing compared to what some of you guys are going through. Matter of fact, some of you are saying, please, I wish it was $3,700. But regardless of what we're going through, however big your thing is, he's bigger. However much need you have, he can cover it all. I'm going to close with this. You know, when, when they 
beat Jesus when he was getting whipped and beaten. According to the Jewish customs, you can only be whipped 39 times. Because the law said 40, but they want to do one less than law so they don't accidentally go over. But you can only be beaten 30, so they would only beat their victims or whip them 39 times. And so a lot of people talk about how Jesus was whipped 39 times and all this kind of stuff. Well, I don't really buy into that. Because first of all, it wasn't the Jews that beat Jesus, that whipped him. It was the Romans. They didn't have no 39 law limit. They beat the fire out of that man. There was so much blood. He got whipped merciless badly. (laughs) I can't even say the word. He was beaten beyond recognition. Every blow that he took, all that blood that was spilled was for you. He said, it is enough for you. It wasn't barely, it wasn't almost enough. It is enough. It is more than enough. So whatever amount of grace we need, whatever situation we're going through, his grace, his provision is there for us. Amen? Close in prayer for a second. Holy Spirit, we thank you for hope. We thank you that you are the one who was sent to us. When Jesus said he would go away, and it was to our advantage that he went away, so he could send you, who happens to be just like Jesus. And Holy Spirit, we acknowledge your presence. We acknowledge your title, that you are God. You are just as much God as Jesus and, our, and the Heavenly Father. And it's important for us to acknowledge that and to recognize and realize that so that we can realize that God is with us and you said you would never fail or forsake us. And you, God, are here in our lives to comfort And give us wisdom. And to help us in time of need. So Holy Spirit, you are not just some second class deity from heaven. You are God. We acknowledge you as God. We worship you as God. We love you. We thank you. And I just thank you for increasing the level of comfort to your people right now. I thank you for increasing your level of awareness in their lives right now. 
What I want to encourage you to do, brothers and sisters, maybe you already have to a certain extent invited him, intentionally invited him into the process of this trial that you're going through. But I want you to be more intentional again and invite him into this mess. And say, Holy Spirit, I invite you to help me, to comfort me, to lead me, to convict me. Because it's only through him and by him that we're able to do this. So Holy Spirit, we just invite you intentionally today. And not that you haven't already been there. We just give you our attention. We thank you. Thank you, Father, for wisdom beginning to flow as we put our attention on you, as we repent and turn from our ways and turn to you. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your comfort. Supernatural comfort. And we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Next week, I want to talk about what do we do? We find ourselves in these trials. Because some trials are, I didn't mention this earlier before, but some trials are from the enemy. It's an attack. We are in warfare. So sometimes the enemy tries to do his thing. We need to learn to recognize what do we do when we find ourselves in a trial. And actually, I don't know. That's why I'm waiting for next week. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs>